Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. Welcome everyone to another episode of the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Toporek and joining me today are not my usual co-hosts, Sarah and Morton, but instead we have Jeff McMenamin. Uh, You can find his work at Sixers Blog on Twitter. He is a writer for Metro Philly and B-Ball Breakdown, and he also has a podcast at 76ers Report. How's it going, Jeff? Great, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, you know, I'm- Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. I'm ready. Uh, you know, we we've followed each other on Twitter for a while now, and you know, read each other's work. So I'm excited to talk some uh, some Sixers basketball today, and you know, everything kind of surrounding what's been going on with the team. Uh, sure thing. Yeah, I, I wish it would be under better circumstances. Uh, <laughs> we will talk some general Sixers draft stuff as well as talk uh, later about game one of the finals and game two. Unfortunately, we have to start with the rumor that brought Sixers Twitter to a halt on Thursday. <laughs> um, the vertical Shams Charania broke the story that the Sixers and the Atlanta Hawks are talking about a deal involving Nerlens Noel and Jeff Teague. Uh, Sham said there is nothing imminent, but Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer later added that the Sixers would also consider adding Nick Stauskas or Robert Covington to the deal. So, Jeff, I I mean, long-term listeners of the podcast will probably know how I feel about this because there's at least a five-minute segment every time where I try to come up with Julia Loco for trade rumors, but <laughs> what what was your first thought when you saw that report on Thursday? Well, first, you know, we had to weather the storm of that uh, semi Derek Rose rumor to you know the Bulls. So, you know, when this Teague news came out, uh, you know, a little shocking to say the least. Obviously, Shams is you know a much uh, better source there when it comes to you know the rumor. So, I mean, at, at first, I was just like does this even make any sense? I mean, why, <laughs> why bring in Jeff Teague who, you know, is on the final year of his deal here um, in Atlanta, you know, why bring him over when, you know, he'll be 29 to start, you know, the free agency process next year. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to pay a guy uh, like Jeff Teague who, you know, don't get me wrong. He's a good player, you know, probably a top 15 point guard in the league. Um, but why pay a guy, you know, on the downswing of his career, uh, you know, maybe a max contract um, mm-hmm. for for next summer? Um, and especially for a player like Nerlens. I mean, Nerlens, 
you know, he's been a defensive anchor uh, throughout his career in Philadelphia. You know, where would this team be defensively without him the past couple of years? You know, uh, especially his rookie season, you know, he just posted incredible numbers. Um, last season, you know, we'll probably get into it in a bit, but, you know, yep. his fit with Okafor, you know, didn't really uh, show his numbers as well. Um but, yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. And when you toss in, you know, a Robert Covington into that deal, who, <laughs> who also, you know, is a very valuable commodity, especially with that contract he has, you know, it, the whole thing just didn't make any sense. And, um, you know, that was my initial reaction. And I've, you know, kind of stuck to that since then. Yeah, I'm right with you. Uh, Derek Bodner, who is a great Sixers follow, he writes for Philly Mag. Had a really good column, I believe, on Friday, kind of breaking down the issues regarding uh, Teague's fit in Philly. And I think it's worth stressing that, you know, a, a lot of the negative reaction at first was people saying, like, why Jeff Teague? Like, what? he's not that good. I mean, we need to separate. He's a fine point guard. You said it. He's, like, probably above average, top 15. Like, there is no question Jeff Teague, the player, makes the Sixers better next season. Like That is not the issue. The issue, as you said, he's 29 when he becomes a free agent in 2017. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. So the Sixers, it's not like when Nerlens becomes a restricted free agent, he can get a max deal and they could at least have the right to refuse yeah, to match it. Of course. Teague, they don't have that. So they might be trading Nerlens for a guy who walks in a year anyway. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't walk, as you said, you're probably paying him a max or a near-max deal. I mean, that's that's my big issue is, like, if you really want Jeff Teague, just wait a year and, and max <laughs> exactly. about that. Yeah. And don't don't give up Nerlens for him. It, it's I don't understand why you would give up an asset for, like, a very valuable asset and, frankly, like, your best Joel Embiid insurance. If Embiid's never healthy, yes. like, yeah. Nerlens can be your defensive anchor. I don't get why you give that up for a guy who could leave in a year. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I didn't even mention that, but yeah, I mean, being unrestricted is a huge part of it. Uh, if you can just go after the guy in free agency next year while keeping Nerlens and Robert Covington, you know, there's no reason to go after the guy now and give up that much. I mean, it's, right. it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I mean, if you, you know, go after Schroeder, it, it makes a little bit more sense. You know, maybe mm -hmm. if you if you go after Schroeder, who had 11 points, three rebounds, four assists last year, you know, he's thought of as a, a solid defender. Um, you know, he's kind of on the upward swing of his career. Uh, two more years left on his contract. You know, if they did a deal for, for Schroeder, toss in maybe their 21st pick this year, uh, 20 you know, 17 first rounder, you know, that might make a little bit more sense. But uh, in terms of this Jeff Teague rumor, um, you know, I'm definitely not on board. And for all the reasons you mentioned, and, you know, you don't want to, you know, test your luck on possibly a one year rental while giving up that much. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think you brought up, I mean, the age thing is also a huge factor. Like, not only will he probably be on the decline by the end of that deal, like you're your best players right now are all in their early 20s. So by the time they're like good, hitting their primes, 25, 26, Teague's going to be 32, 33. Like <laughs> yeah. he's going to be at the you know the tail end of his relevance as a starting point guard. So it's like it's just another thing. Like what what are you thinking? Trying to target this kind of a player? I mean, I I think you're right. The Schroeder would make a lot more sense. I mean, I I would assume. The Hawks probably covered him more than Jeff Teague. I think there were a couple of reports uh, around the trade deadline that they liked Schroeder's competitiveness, which Teague doesn't always show. Mm -hmm. um, so I would assume they would ask a little bit more if you're going to go after him, especially because, like Nerlens, he'll be a restricted free agent, so at least you have the possibility of... Um, of matching with him and yeah. the Sixers were linked to him around the trade deadline, even when Sam Hinkie was in charge. So interest there makes sense. Um, 
Is there anything Atlanta could include in this deal that would make it worthwhile? I mean, I think pretty much just the one I, I just laid out for, for Schroeder. I mean, there's really nothing else that entices me on their roster. You know, it would have been Kent Bazemore, but he's a yeah. you know free agent um, this summer. So, yeah, I mean, outside of Schroeder, there's really nothing that entices me. And it's not like they're going to, you know, be able to pry Paul Millsap from them in a trade. So, um, right. you know, it, it's, uh, it's pretty much, uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder or bust. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, they don't even have the, you know, they could throw in, as you mentioned, an unprotected uh, first round pick, but it's not like, I mean, they're a pretty good team. Like, even if they give away Teague or they give away Schroeder, like, it's probably going to be enough to make the playoffs anyway. So you're probably looking at a pick in the early 20s. Like, yeah. that's not, it's not a huge deal swinger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the big question here, you know, Sham said nothing is imminent with this trade. And yeah. Hopefully the very, very negative reaction from Sixers Twitter will at least help push them away from this kind of thing. Yeah. Pompey said they were shopping Nerlens and Jalil Okafor to at least 15 teams. So, I, I, you know, I think what for whatever reason this leaked, I don't know. But I do wonder, does this give you more concerns or less confidence about Brian Colangelo as a general manager? Um. I think mainly it uh, makes me question his motive because, um, mm-hmm. you know, if if we're really trying to rebuild and, and keep the trend going that Sam Hinkie set forth, this completely, you know, blows that away. Uh, you know, you, you can't try to, you know, keep going with the rebuild and then try to win now by bringing in a player like Jeff Teague, which would do exactly that. Um, right. So, um yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's just an odd, odd thing that they're even mentioned in a rumor like this, and it's also just strange seeing Brian Colangelo as a public speaker and inside source throughout yeah. this process compared to Sam Hinkie, because this would never even be on the radar if uh, you know Sam Hinkie was general manager. You know, there was you know a little talk before the trade deadline that you know. The Hawks and Sixers were in talks over Teague and Schroeder, but, um, you know, Derland's Noel was not part of any of that conversation. And uh, right. it's, uh, you know, definitely alarming to see, uh, you know, a player as important to your franchise as Nerland's to be possibly sold for a, a one-year rental. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, at the trade deadline, it was Ish Smith, and then Stauskas, and I don't even think Covington was involved, from what I remember. Yeah, I'm not sure if Covington was, uh, maybe, but uh, yeah, I mean, significantly less than what was being talked right. about. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I literally, like, the other day at today's Fast Break, wrote a column praising Brian Colangelo, because he went on the radio recently and talked about uh, wanting to sign, like, placeholder free agents, so kind of guys yeah. on, like, short-term deals as... Because he, he knows, like, the Sixers won 10 games last year. They're not going to attract Kevin Durant. You're not going to get Mike Conley. Yeah. You're probably not even going to get, like, a Chandler Parsons or, I mean, maybe even a Kent Bazemore. Like, the, a lot of those guys are trying to go to teams that are more competitive. Yeah. Uh, so unless you, like, egregiously overpay them on long-term deals, they're not going to come to Philly. So he's saying, all right, let's, you know, let's do what the Kings did last year, sign Rondo to a one-year deal, uh, get a little more competitive, and then bigger-name free agents will consider us in 2017, you know, once Embiid plays, once our number one pick has a season under his belt. So I was like all for Brian Colangelo. Like, you know what? This is like this is exactly the type of mindset you need to have. Yeah. You should not be going after I mean, don't like do, you have 60 million in cap space. So if they want, they can max out two guys. Of but course. like don't don't do that just because you can. Like yeah. you know, don't we've we talked about this with Morton and Sarah in previous podcasts. Like Harrison Barnes is going to get a max deal. Yep. Like I I don't want the Sixers to be the team to do that. You know, he's he's a good player, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't know that he's necessarily worth the max, and he's going to get one just because of the screwed-up uh, fiscal environment this yes. summer with the cap <laughs> rising so much. So, like, 
our definition of a max player is going to change. But especially with like the collective bargaining agreement, probably there's probably going to be an opt out this year. Like just wait a year, see how that affects things. Like, you know, for all we know, they're going to remove max contracts entirely. They're going to raise the percentage of what a max player can get. So like maybe the next CBA, it is really impossible to form a quote unquote super team. Like the the Warriors would not have the space to sign a Kevin Durant. So maybe like it makes sense to preserve your cap space to see what happens then. Cause if you can like, you know, if you have 50, 60 million in cap space and you can suddenly give a, huge portion of that to a player you know not even a lebron or a kd but like someone in the 10 to 20 range like you know boogie cousins or i don't know lamarcus aldridge like obviously you don't want to do it to big guys because yeah you get plenty of those but someone in that like caliber of player if you can lure those players with that cap space it, that's awesome but now Having seen this trade rumor, I have no faith again, and I am officially, I'm just terrified of the next month. Cause I, <laughs> I like, I, I'm going to be checking Twitter every day compulsively, just like, oh god, <laughs> what, what did he do this time? Yeah, one one thing I found kind of interesting, you know, people on Twitter have have brought it up to me. You know, what is Nerlens Noel's kind of value at this point? You know, is he a max guy? Uh, you know, do the Sixers see him as a max guy? Is that why maybe, you know, he, he might be rumored in, you know, involvement mm-hmm. in a trade at this point? Do they see him as a building block moving forward? And, you know, maybe is that the reason why they're trying to get something for him now be, before it becomes an issue where they have to pay him down the road? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I mean... I don't think there's any pressure to sign him to an extension this summer. If if he's demanding a max and he won't settle for a dollar less, yeah. there's no point in signing him to an extension because he's a restricted free agent. So yeah. let him go get that offer. Like if that's how he values himself, you know, make him get that offer from another team and then just match it. And yeah. at that point you get like slightly smaller raises, you know, it comes with one less year on the deal, but you still have him locked up for four more years yeah if you can convince him to sign the less than the max this summer i think you do it immediately yeah because any deal signed this summer under a 92 million dollar cap it's going to be a huge steal compared in a 107 108 million which it's going to jump to yeah, yeah. the following year uh-huh. um so i actually wrote a column at bballbreakdown.com uh about this whole which guy should they trade nerlens or okafor and that was kind of my uh, you know, I'm pretty firmly on the trade Okafor camp. Uh, yeah. But but I did say, you know, if Nerlens is demanding a max and he's not willing to budge from that, that might push you to trade him. Or, I mean, ideally, like ultimately, he's probably whichever one you keep, you're probably moving them to the bench because, like, you in a perfect world, Joel Embiid would be healthy. He will avoid any more setbacks. Yeah. He's going to be your starting five. And then presumably they're going to take Ben Simmons at number one. So he's going to be your starting four. Like, yeah. neither one of these guys is going to be a starter in a year or two in a perfect world. So if Nerlens is not okay with that role, then you have to start yeah. weighing whether he's part of your long term future as well. And I don't really see Okafor as, you know, wanting to be in that role either. Um, right. Right. I- realistically i think they both are bench players uh on a good team um you know if if you look at the thunder and Mm -hmm. and their year they they had it's funny because you know they have a similar setup with steven adams and and it's Cantor on their team where you know one is the the offensive juggernaut off the bench and the other is the defensive juggernaut off the bench and you know i i think they they need both equally um on that team to be successful and I don't know if you can really value the presence of one over the other, but right. I think in, in today's NBA and the way things are going, I just think Noel is a better fit. Yeah, I totally agree. And I've been, I've been hammering that Okafor and his cancer comparison all year. Cause I really think that is his perfect role for now. And I, I agree. He's not going to willingly accept that, but like, 
dude can't defend pick and rolls at <laughs> yeah. all. Like in in my article, I have a video of him defending pick and rolls, and it's egregious. Like he doesn't <laughs> even move. Yeah, he like he's often just standing there, flat footed, fifteen feet from the guy he's supposed to guard. Uh-huh. And I don't know. Part of it might be strategy. Like that might just be the team's defensive game plan. Is like you're too slow or you don't understand how to guard these. So we're not going to have you like hedge out to the guard at all. We're going to keep you near the basket, but like that's Mm -hmm. leaving wide open jump shots. You just can't, you can't have that in your starting lineup and (laughs) expect to like have any sort of defensive discipline whatsoever. So (laughs) until he gets good at defending those. Yeah. Like I, I think his best role is just coming off the bench. And I mean, he's already a fantastic scorer. Like his his offensive skill set is insane, especially yes. for a guy his size, like six ten to seventy. But he like he can actually create off the dribble better than I realized coming into the year. Oh yeah. So I think yeah. I mean, I would love to see him come off the bench, and if he's willing to, and Nerlens isn't, you know that that might make it a little more even in the who should you trade debate, like because. Again, I think he would be he would be really good in that role, but I I'm with you. I don't think he would agree to it. And if MB does not avoid any setbacks, yeah. I'm I'm more hesitant at with Okafor as my starting five than I am with Nerlens because I, I cover this in the column, but I mean, the you said it earlier too, like his rookie year, they were 12th or tied for 12th in defensive rating. Yeah. Even though, like, if you look at that roster, it is a crime scene. Like, yeah. especially after they <laughs> traded MCW, like, it is just the, the no, I mean, I think Henry Sims started like 30 plus <laughs> games for that team. Like, that team had no business being anywhere, like, within the top half of the league, within the top 20. And this year they regressed a lot. They were right, I think they were 25th this year. Um, but a lot of that, you know, people have been, uh, some people have been saying like Nerland's regressed defensively, which he he did slightly. I mean, just in terms of steals and blocks per game. But like, if you look at his on-off stats with the worst defenders, with Okafor, with Nick Stauskas, with Isaiah Kanan, <laughs> uh, with Ish Smith, like when those guys weren't on the floor, the Sixers defended much better. But it was like, of course he's got a his like team wide defensive rating is gonna dip when you're playing Nerlens with like two or three of those guys because those those guys are all huge liabilities. Like, yeah, it's not Nerlens' fault that they're getting scored on. It's just like, oh, Jaleel Okafor just literally stood there flat footed as a dude <laughs> can a jump shot in his face. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, Nerlens just. I think someone mentioned on Twitter the other day how he basically, you know, led the team to the that twelfth in the league defensive rating when he's playing with a rec league team out there. You know, right. uh, yeah, it's uh, it was just insane. You know, the amount of uh, you know impact he had on the on the game, and uh, you know his uh, defensive box score was just insane that mm-hmm. year. Uh, I, I think he was like second or third in the league in defensive box scores. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's something that they'll have to definitely really, really examine, you know, if, if they're getting rid of a guy like that who's so elite on the defensive end. You know, every team needs that in the NBA today, whereas, you know, I, I feel like, you know, teams can find other routes, especially with, the way things are going for perimeter shooting in the NBA to find, you know, additional scoring where they wouldn't need a player like Jalil Okafor. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, look at Bismack Biombo. Like, the guy is probably going to get $15 million a year just because he can rebound really well and block a couple shots. Like, you're telling me Nerlens Noel is not better than Bismack Biombo? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, I noted this in the column. There's... There's some perception that Noel is only like a rim protector, but he's actually, as a rookie, he was tied for second in the league in deflections per 100 chances, which yeah. is a vantage uh, sports stat. Uh-huh. And then this past year, he led the league. Like, 
he his defensive instincts are insane. Like he is just so good at jumping into passing lanes, and his hands are so quick, and he's got great body control that like a ball handler can be dribbling by him, and he just like reaches out yeah. and like, thwacks it away, and it might not result in a turnover, but it's still waste time on the shot clock, and it like makes opponents uncomfortable offensively which uh-huh. i mean look at the oklahoma city golden state series for like an example of how well that can work like look at how well kevin durant just got into their heads for a while yep. because his long arms were just everywhere and uh-huh. they you know they they thought like they're trying to make the passes they always make but like kd just gets in the way and i i, I mean that's that's nerland's like that <laughs> is what he brings to the yeah. table so I'm with you. I mean, there is a quote, I think I, uh, an NBA executive told this to Keith Pompey of the Inquirer in January when they was talking about, like, which guy do you trade? And they're like, Okafor impacts the game in one area, scoring. Noel just does so much more for the team yeah. that I think you have to keep him and trade Okafor. And that's, again, not to say Okafor is a bad player by any means. I think on the right team... He could be great, and I, yeah. you know, I, I would be surprised if he didn't develop into a twenty ten guy one day. I just don't know. I have more confidence in building if if neither guy improves on their weaknesses at all. I have more confidence building around a defensive stalwart who is limited offensively because you can, uh-huh. as you said, find other ways to score. But like, if you're building around a center who can't defend pick and rolls, like, yeah. That's a huge issue. And I mean, Okafor is a, a decent post defender. I mean, I had some stats in my article that, you know, he, he actually, I think, held opponents to seven percentage points below their average around the rim. Yeah. Or a little less than seven, but same idea. Like, he, he's got the frame and he has the body. He's actually not a total lost cause on defense in that regard. But because pick and rolls are just so, I mean, every team runs so many. Like you have to have a guy who knows how to guard them, and he doesn't. So that's that's a huge issue. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like you know when you look at Okafor's ceiling as a player, what it it might be like an Al Jefferson, like a yeah. Nick Vucevic, like a Greg Monroe. Does that really entice you as you know one of your building blocks in your starting lineup? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I think you nailed it, and I think you know look at. I mean, I he New Orleans doesn't have the frame of like DeAndre Jordan. I don't think he's ever going to grow into that no. type of a. But like Tyson Chandler, yeah, I could totally see. And it might sound like sacrilegious because Tyson Chandler is a you know NBA champion, like an all defensive player. But I really yeah. think New Orleans has that same type of upside. And you know, he his jump shot very much remains a work in progress. But yeah. I don't get the impression that he's, you know, we, we've heard reports both off seasons, like he's in New Hampshire right now, like taking a thousand jump shots a day. Like he's, <laughs> you know, he's working on it. Yeah. I, I think he was playing out of position a lot this year. So that probably complicated things uh, yeah. just in terms of his offensive flow. Uh-huh. But I, I have more faith in him developing offensively than I do in Jaleel developing defensively. And again, yeah. even if they, even if they both stagnate right here, I just think it's a lot easier to build around the defensive guy just because he can impact every possession on D. Whereas Okafor, I mean, your best case scenario, you're not going to dump it down to him on every single possession. There, mm-hmm. there are going to be some where he doesn't touch the ball. So I think Nerlens just has a bigger impact overall. Um, you know, both of us are obviously pretty adamantly against this Teague for Noel trade, but yeah. If you did have to trade one of those guys, what would you hope to receive in exchange? Well, my mindset is I'm not trading Nerlens Noel. <laughs> so I will uh, strictly, I guess, give a trade, some trade scenarios for Okafor that I would be okay with. Um, I think I, I wrote an article recently for the Metro that went into it a little bit. Um, but I, I think number three from Boston for Okafor would be a fair deal. And, you know, maybe the the Sixers would try to sweeten it and get Avery Bradley in that deal, too. I don't know what that would take. You know, maybe they would have to package both of those uh, 24 and 26 to pry Avery Bradley away at this point. I'm not sure. 
Um, so I think that would be fair. Um, I think I mentioned D'Angelo Russell, just a straight-up swap uh, with oh. the Lakers there. Um, I I don't know. I'm a little less, uh, you know, on board with that move just because, you know, Russell himself had a pretty rough year, and, um, you know, he's not really a point guard. He's more of a shooting guard. So that would be a little dicey there if you're giving away Okafor. Um, and also – I'm just not really a fan of the Lakers in general, so <laughs> making them happy in a trade, I, I wouldn't be for that. Um, That's fair. And then uh, I think I mentioned Phoenix as another trade partner. Um, they have pick number four, and, you know, they don't really have anything in the front court. They have, you know, an aging Tyson Chandler. I think he's 33 right now. Yep. yep. Um, so, I mean – you know, he's definitely towards the end of his career. Um, and then they have Alex Len, who has just <laughs> severely underperformed since they drafted him. So getting a guy like Okafor in there, um, especially since they're still in kind of the rebuild mode, um, you know, that would be a welcome addition when they already have a backcourt in, um, you know, for the moment, Brandon Knight and uh, Eric Bledsoe. So, yeah, I think those are all three reasonable trades uh, for Okafor. And, you know, maybe, you know, even the Suns might be willing to get rid of Bledsoe in a trade there. Yeah. And, you know, with Brian Colangelo saying he kind of wants to, you know, if he makes a trade, kind of get a, a star player in return. You know, Eric Bledsoe is that type of guy. Uh, just you don't know whether or not he'll <laughs> – fully be be healthy right, for a right, season right. so yeah i i mean <laughs> i when right after the sixers won the number one pick and the lottery kind of unfolded i proposed number three uh straight up for okafor to morton and sarah and both of them shot me down immediately if they were boston so i was like uh-oh because <laughs> right i mean the days after uh the lottery like on sixers twitter all of us were like uh, what about three and sixteen for him, or three and Bradley, or three and Marcus Smart? So it yeah, it, it it seems like three straight up is probably where the value would end up. Um, I would be, you know, I at first I was a little lukewarm on that, but I've since come around, um, which we could talk about shortly. Uh, uh-huh. I get I like Russell. I mean, I I'm very high on him still. Um, okay. So I would I would do that in a heartbeat. I mean I I think honestly if he I mean if they basically swapped last year and the Lakers took Oka four two and the Sixers had Russell three, Sam yeah. Pinky would still be the general manager. Yep. He would not have the number one pick. Like he's that kind of a you know, he just a huge upgrade and the Sixers don't have a point guard, so that would yeah. help. Um yeah, I, I do like Phoenix if they would be willing. I mean I'm wondering uh like Alex Len, as you said, he's been Kind of a disappointment. I think it's mostly been he just can't stay healthy. He's had some ankle injuries. Yeah. So I wonder uh, where Phoenix is in terms of their valuation of him. And I mean, he's gonna he's in the same class as Nerlens, so he's yep. going to be a restricted free agent next summer. So yeah, if they were, God, if they were willing to do like number four, and I think I would assume they're higher on Bledsoe than they are on Brandon Knight. If I was them, I would value Bledsoe even with the injury issues more than Knight. And then you know Devin Booker, like he broke out this year. I think he's their yeah. starting two moving forward. So uh-huh. I think you basically have to. I mean, one of Bledsoe or Knight are moving to the bench anyway, and I don't think you're paying. Now their contracts will be reasonable, but you're still paying thirteen, fourteen million a year for a guy coming off the bench. That's not yeah. an ideal use of resources. So. If they could do Okafor, it would probably have to be Okafor and something. like. Yeah. I don't know. I Covington. Mean, <laughs> yeah, probably Covington and yeah. for, for Knight and Four, which I would, I would at least be amenable to that. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be thrilled to give up Covington. But, uh, yeah, I think that's reasonable. This is a good way we can just pivot right into the some draft talk because uh, yeah. I think a lot of what they do – both later with their own picks, and then also if they're going to trade Okafor for a pick. Depends on what they do at number one. So mm-hmm. are you Team Simmons or Team Ingram? You know, I, I'm still kind of split. You know, I, oh, wow. I've been, okay. Okay. I've been, you know, following both of them since 
last July. So, um, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's welcome it's to been, being a Sixers fan. It's been a long year of, you know, really diving into both of their skill sets, seeing where they would fit on the Sixers. And, you know, I, we had um, Andrew Johnson of Nylon Calculus on our last show on uh, the 76ers report. And, you know, he kind of, you know, steered me more towards Simmons just in the sense that, you know, you should not base your draft on fit. It should always be best player available. Mm-hmm. And clearly Ben Simmons is the best player available. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it, it's hard to pass on a guy getting comparisons to Kevin Durant, you know, with the right. 7-2 wingspan. You know, you, you look at the defensive potential he has there. You can plug him in at the three, you know, from day one, mm-hmm. and you won't have to worry about so many of those questions in the front court, you know, who you're going to trade, you know, who you're going to um, kind of build the, the back court um, around Simmons with. So there's uh, there's a lot more questions than answers, I feel like, with drafting Ben Simmons when it mm-hmm. comes to the Sixers roster decisions. Um, and I do think that, you know, Ingram is going to be an elite scorer uh, once he, you know, puts on some pounds and, uh, yeah, <laughs> really, right. uh, you know, um, gets into the flow of a NBA team's offense. And especially with just the way the NBA is moving forward, you know, you have the Warriors and the Cavs meeting in the finals, you know, the first time in NBA history uh, that, you know, the, those two teams meeting in the finals were first and second respectively in three point field goals made during the regular Mm -hmm. season. So, um, you know, there's a lot of those things that, that run through my mind when it comes to the pick at number one. Um, so I'm still split. I, I think I would like Ingram more just strictly, you know, the way the NBA is trending, mm-hmm. but I do think that the Sixers will ultimately pick Ben Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I've been pretty firmly Simmons the whole time and yeah. I, I get the argument for Ingram and I agree with everything you said. Like it is much easier to imagine plugging him in day one and not having to worry about the front court glut. Um, I mean, yeah, he projects as an elite scorer, an elite three-point shooter, six nine, seven two wingspan, seven three wingspan. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's gonna be a defensive freak once once he fills out a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just think that Simmons, like we've seen it with LeBron and with Draymond Green, the value of having a playmaking four. Yeah. Like, I, it's just so impressive what those guys can do, yeah. and I. I don't know. I don't know that you put Ben Simmons as your full-time point guard, but just having his ability, you know, if you put him in pick and rolls and you have him as the role man, like yeah. he can make plays after he gets the ball as the role man. Like it would just be he presents such challenges especially for opposing forwards to guard him yeah. that even though, you know, the big concerns with him are his shooting he, he's not a great three-point shooter, even though we've seen some videos from like Chad <laughs> showing him hitting, you know, I, I mean, uh, every <laughs> NBA player can hit a standstill three-pointer in yeah. practice. Like I'm not, not putting too much stock into any draft no. workout videos. Um, so, I mean, that's a big concern, especially if you keep both Nerlens and Okafor, neither one of those guys you want out past 10, 15 feet. So like the, the spacing will get crowded. I do just think he he is the best talent, and I'm with the guy on Nylon Calculus. I wrote something for Fansided about this. Like you just at number one, you cannot take fit into the equation, especially yeah. because there's no one on the Sixers roster. I mean, Nerlens is the closest one, but there's no one who has come and like proven to be a franchise cornerstone. And I yeah. think Embiid is really the only one who could get there. And yeah. I, I mean, I think Simmons and Embiid, with Embiid's ability to knock down mid-range and long-range shots, like I think that combination could be so scary together if they both max out their potential. I mean, admittedly a big if, but I just really, really think that would be 
so huge. And then Brett Brown's relationship with the Simmons family, I think, yeah, gives of them course. A big, <laughs> you know, that gives him a big leg up. Like, uh-huh. if that's those are one of the concerns about him, and who better to find out than you know from his father, who you've known for 20, yeah. 30 years? So, I'm not worried about that as much. You know, I do think whoever they choose at one will influence what they do moving forward, either with yeah. trading Okafor and Noel. So, you know, let's go back to that hypothetical. Say they trade Okafor to Boston for number three. Say Morton and Sarah were wrong to shoot me down for that. Uh, if they do that, who would you pick there? Yeah, so, I mean, it all depends on if they take Simmons or Ingram. Right. Uh, you know, if they pick Simmons... I feel like you have to go with the best shooter at number three, um, and that would be Jamal Murray. Yeah. Um, you know, he he projects to be the best shooter um, next season. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think his his projection is to be around 39% from three. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, a quality addition. You know, you're going to need to surround Simmons with uh, LeBron-like players, you know, with mm-hmm. – uh, the J.R. Smiths and, uh, you know, Kyrie Irvings of the world. So, um, you know, I I think that they would go Murray if they pick Simmons. And I think if you pick Ingram, um, you get Chris Dunn as uh, the point guard of the team at number three. So, um, yeah, I I think it's pretty much those two. You know, they're the next tier outside of Dragon Bender. You know, they're the next tier of – you know, potential star players, I guess, coming out of this draft. Right, yeah. And I know the uh, the guys at Sixers beat uh, Derek Bodner and Max Rappaport and all those guys. They are pretty firmly in the Dragon Bender camp, just in a hypothetical world. Uh, yeah. Because uh, they think he's the third best talent. And then, you know, he's going to be playing, in theory, he's like just not ready to jump into a 30 minute per game role so he would be playing 15 20 minutes a night he's not going to really contribute to the front court flat so you can kind of figure out if Dario Saric is everything they think he is and yeah. if Embiid can stay healthy and as much as I get that argument I just don't think optics wise Brian Colangelo is going to trade Jaleel Okafor for a dude who's playing 15 minutes a night. <laughs> like I just yeah. you know you can't you can't say you want to like go from process to progress and then make a trade like that where it's like, yeah. Oh wow. You, you know, you just traded a 17 and seven guy for like a 18 year old skinny European who's barely <laughs> playing. Like it's yeah. just, you know, I, I get that he might be the third best prospect, but I, I'm with you. I mean, if, if I take Simmons, I, I, I definitely take Jamal Murray third. And yeah. I, you know, I, I admittedly have not done like enough research into what, his big weaknesses is but from what i can tell the big concern with him is that he's not really like a true point guard he's not like a great facilitator yet Uh but if you take ben simmons like isn't that the type of player that enables you to take exactly you you won't get that that ball hawking point guard you know chris dunn draws those john wall comparisons so he's gonna need the ball in his hand a good amount i just don't see the fit where you know, you have a point forward like Ben Simmons and also, you know, a point guard like that who needs the ball in his hands. Yeah, it seems like Murray, you know, you said he's like, he projects to be a 40% shooter right away, which is exactly yeah. what you need a guy who's going to be a great three-point shooter if you're building around Simmons at the four and, you know, hopefully Embiid, but probably either Nerlens or Okafor at the five, like two two guys who are going to be operating from within the three-point line so you need to have ideally three shooters around them and one of them will be Robert Covington maybe one of them is Nick Stauskas and then you know Murray Murray there at the at the point I'm worried that they take Buddy Heald there just because he's a oh, little bit older yeah. and you know he does like scoring and three-point shooting are the things that he projects to do well at the next level even though I think that's it like I <laughs> I think his his upside is like a low ceiling starter or probably like a sixth man ultimately. Yeah. So I would not want to do that. I mean, yeah, I'm right with you with, with Murray. I'm, I'm glad I was preparing a defense. Like I thought you might be <laughs> in, the, in the bender camp. So I was, I was really preparing to fight for Murray, but there we go. We both agree on that. 
what would you want to see them do with their two late first round picks, numbers 24 and 26? So like I you know, alluded to earlier, I think that those are both kind of sweeteners in the, the Okafor deal or it could be to, you know, move back into like a, a mid-round pick. And I think that, you know, there's some, some decent options there. If you are looking to, you know, go back into maybe like the 10 to 15 range in the draft, um, you know, I, I think, you know, point guard Wade Baldwin from yes. Vanderbilt. He's, uh, you know, a quality guy who can, you know, shoot pretty well. And I, I think he's a good enough facilitator that he could play along Ben Simmons while not taking away, you know, everything that Ben Simmons does there. Um, you know, I, I'm very high on, on Torian Prince, but his uh, <laughs> average draft position is kind of all over the place. I think right. that, you know, he reminds me so much of kind of Kawhi Leonard and, mm. and his his ceiling of what he can do. You know, he's a very good uh, scorer in the paint, you know, very good shooter. He can defend very well. You know, he's your typical kind of 3 and D wing that I think, you know, would fit in just fine with the Sixers. Um, you know, a lot of people are, are high on Demetrius Jackson from Notre mm-hmm. Dame. Um, I don't really know what his ceiling can be. You know, he had a very good season last year for Notre Dame, and he's kind of the reason why they went to the Elite Eight, just, uh, you know, how good he was in the NCAA tournament for them. Um, and actually, uh, Denzel Valentine is yeah, a guy yeah. that, um, you know, if you want to take Ben Simmons at number one and you also want to get kind of that, that small forward that does everything, you know, that's Denzel Valentine. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, when we had Andrew Johnson on from Nylon Calculus on our last show, he actually has uh, Valentine rated above um, Buddy Heald. You know, wow. he, he has Buddy Heald on he has a list called do not want and oh, no. <laughs> buddy healed is one of uh i think like three players in the top 10 that's on that list and oh, he's actually rated below valentine who i think is projected 20th on draft express's uh you know mock draft right now mm-hmm. so um it, it's it's interesting i i think uh you know valentine is kind of that guy who could do everything as well who's also a very good defender. And I just like Michigan State guys in general. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know, what Tom Izzo does up there, what kind of <laughs> hazing he does as a coach or what's in the water in, in Michigan, but it seems like all these guys that come out of Michigan State are just rock-solid defenders, and you can really plug them into, you know, your lineup without having to, you know uh, – kind of let them grow for a couple of years you know they're they're nba ready uh coming out of michigan state yeah i think denzel valentine's gonna get like the draymond green bump because people are just gonna think he's like two or three <laughs> inches shorter but the same type of player and he's he's well-rounded like i you know i don't think he is i mean what what makes dre special is that he's a, such a good playmaking for like i said earlier you know in the yeah. mold of a simmons or of a lebron and that's it puts such a unique strain on defenses, whereas Valentine, you know, probably switches between the two and the three. So at least the guys guarding him are more used to guarding that kind of player. But yeah. I'm with you. I love him. I would absolutely. Uh-huh. I mean, if he slipped to 24, pounce on a heartbeat. Or if you can package <laughs> those two and move up to like 18 or something, yeah, that would be awesome. Um, I'm right with you on Wade Baldwin. I think like my ideal a deal scenario would be Simmons at one Murray at three, and then somehow move back into like the 15 range and get Baldwin doubt. Brian Colangelo is okay. Having three rookie starters and then Embiid's yeah. <laughs> a rookie and Dario Saric is a rookie. You know, it's probably a little yeah. too young, but uh, I just think Murray and Baldwin would be such a perfect fit next to Simmons that it would be worth the lumps you take in 2016, 2017. I really I like Patrick McCaw a lot. I think he's a, uh, you know, he's really skinny right now, but he's got great length and he's yeah. uh, uh, at least projects from what I can tell as a decent shooter. Uh, uh-huh. uh, you know, Tyler Ulis, if they don't get a point guard, could be interesting. I, I yeah. mean, Brian Colangelo has said that 
they are not going to use all three picks basically, or they're, yeah. they're, they're going to trade one or, you know, draft and stash someone, which is fine. Cause like, yeah. you know, MB is for all intents and purposes going to be a rookie. And then Sarich, assuming he comes over as a rookie. So like, you know, having five rookies on the roster is probably a lot to ask. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe you can do like a domestic draft and stash and do what the Thunder did with Josh Westis and put him in the D league. So there are a lot of options there. I, I I just don't think they're gonna actually use all three picks on players who are going to be on the roster this coming year. Before we yeah. hop over to uh, the some brief NBA Finals talk, do you think I think the one reservation I have with Simmons is I wonder how it affects Sarich. Do you think if we take him that Sarich would rethink coming over? You know, I don't. Um, my main worry with Sarich is he had such a good relationship with Sam Hinkie, mm-hmm. and I don't think that relationship is there with Brian Colangelo. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that Sarich wouldn't come over just because we draft Ben Simmons. I, I think it's more, you know, is the relationship there? Does he feel comfortable, you know, playing under Brian Colangelo? So, I think that's my main worry. I think that Sarich is, you know, a lot of people have actually said that he's repetitive to Ben Simmons, but I just don't really see that. You know, I think that in the past year you've seen Sarich kind of develop into more of that, you know, stretch four that yeah, can, yeah. you know, hit the outside shot at a pretty repetitive rate. Um, yeah, I think he's, what, 41% shooting uh, from three-point range right now, and uh, one thing that has really impressed me is his free throw shooting. I think he's mm-hmm. like a 94% free throw shooter. Oh, wow. Um, so that, you know, projects very well if, you know, he can just stand out on the wing. I, I don't know, I guess, how – I don't know if he can play the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he's fast enough or athletic enough to guard, you know, NBA caliber wings. Right. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, if he wants to get the most of his minutes, he would almost have to transition into a three in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, how many teams are like looking for one playmaking four and the Sixers could have two? Like, I, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. I think it's definitely a position of luxury and, you know, you probably don't want Ben Simmons at the three full time either but you know you could at least steal a couple minutes for him there and steal a couple minutes for Sarich at the three or even yeah. put one of them at the five like you know if golden, <laughs> if golden yeah, state has a, yeah if they if they have the death lineup out there and there's not a single player above six seven six eight like you're you're fine putting a six ten Sarich or a six ten simmons at the five so i hope it doesn't affect anything because there are severe financial ramifications if he does not come over this year like he yeah he gets out of the rookie scale and it's it would be wildly beneficial for the Sixers for him to come come over so I just yeah. I hope that the Simmons thing doesn't affect him at all but it is in the back of my mind um, I know uh, Colangelo and Brett Brown are making a trip overseas I think next week uh, sometime in June to go chat with Sarich and I mean, all all reports, even since November, have said he's coming over, but we haven't heard anything definitive since the lottery, so it does make me wonder a little bit. Uh, Before you go, I do want to touch on Game 1 of the Finals. Uh, For those who don't know, your brother Dave actually works for ESPN as the Cavs reporter, so I wanted to know, especially from someone who's, who's probably got some Cavs intel, who did you have in this series before it started? And then did game one change your opinion at all? Well, I had Golden State in five before the nice. series started. So okay. my opinion has not changed. I, I still think the Cavs might be able to take one of those those games at home. Mm-hmm. But I think game one, you know, just further proved my early prediction. You know, when Curry and, and Thompson combined for 20 points, Right. And you still win by 15. And yeah, yeah. really, you know, yeah, the Cavs took a one-point lead in the third quarter. But really, that game was not close um, yeah, the yeah. whole time. And, you know, I think the final score was indica- indicative of that. 
Yeah, I, I actually also had Golden State in five, so I'm glad we're on the same page there. Uh, I think <laughs> both Morton and Sarah had Golden State in six. And, I, you know, I, I saw a lot of, like, really smart people, especially on ESPN, like, even the ones who took Golden State, like, almost everyone had six or seven. Yeah. And I was like, am I missing something? Like, I just don't think this is going to be that competitive. And, yeah. you know, as you said, like, uh, game one confirmed a lot of those suspicions. It seemed like, you know, after surviving the length of OKC, it was just like the floodgates opened once they got <laughs> to the Cavs. So do you think there's anything that Cleveland can do, any major adjustments to make to get back into this series? Game two is tonight. The major adjustment is to get J.R. Smith going. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. he had, what, four shots in the first game? So, you know, he's got to shoot about 15 to 20 shots and the majority being from the three-point line mm -hmm. um, for them to have any shot. I mean, he's probably the best three-point shooter on the team. You know, it, I, you know, you could make a Channing Frye or Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving argument, but right, right. you know, I think um, you know the volume of three-pointers that you know J.R. Smith shoots. You're going to need that to, you know, come close in this series, especially, you know, going against Clay and Steph, who, you know, definitely won't have a performance like they did in game one the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm right with you there. I think, uh, I mean, he was, re JR was really bad in last year's finals, but I thought, you know, he was basically the number two option once Kyrie went down, so I thought they could you know, send a lot more defensive attention his way. Um, now that Kyrie's healthy, it seems like Clay Thompson is marking him most of the time. So, yeah. you know, Curry was on J.R. Smith a lot. And if you're if you're hiding Curry on J.R. Smith, J.R. Smith, you're right. He needs to make Curry pay. Like, that's, yeah. that's the way to, you know, Curry is not going to be as bad as he was. But if you tire him out, make him run around a lot of screens, like wear him down physically, that's your best chance. So I'm with you that, that JR needs to have a much better game. Uh, I also, you know, before the series started, I said Kevin Love was the big swing factor here because I just didn't see a single player, especially in the starting lineup, that he can really competently guard. And yeah. th those fears held true in game yeah. one. I, I just think you either need to cut back on his minutes significantly or you even need to just put him on the bench and start like Shumpert or start Delavadova and give yourself more defense and then, you know, have love, save him for when Azili and Spates are on the floor. You know, I don't, I, you know, he's just going to struggle no matter who he guards just because they run so many pick and rolls and he's not a great pick and roll defender. But I think if you're Cleveland, you can at least live with, Azelian Spates beating you rather than Splash Brothers or Iguodala or Draymond. Yeah. So that's that's the the big adjustment that I'm keeping an eye out on in game two. Uh do you think the Warriors bench is gonna have another game like they did in game one? I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, that was incredible. I, yeah. I mean Sean Livingston to go, you know, for eighteen points, I think, almost perfect shooting. Uh Leandro Barbosa right. five for five from the field. You know, that was uh that was incredible to see and um you know I, I don't think they'll match that, that game one performance, but I still think that their bench is significantly better than the Cavs bench and um you saw it there. I mean, you know, Shumpert, Delavadova and Channing Fry, I guess those are the big three coming off the Cavs bench. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I, I don't think they match the uh, the competition level of that Warriors bench. Yeah, I'm right with you. I, I do think they need to play Channing Fry more. I think he only got seven minutes in game one. Yeah. So that needs to he, – he needs to see more court time. Because, I mean, the Cavs really rampaged through the Eastern Conference bracket with uh, <laughs> with that lineup of Deli, Shumpert, Richard Jefferson, LeBron, and Fry. And I uh -huh. don't – I don't remember if we saw that at all in game one or if we did, it was very limited time. So, you know, I, I think you got to go back there a little bit more, but yeah, I, <laughs> I think, uh, asking, what was it? 45 to 10, I think was the bench scoring yeah. disparity. Yeah. I, I don't think you're going to get that again either, but 
at the same time, you're also not going to get Clay and Steph only limited to 20 points. So if Golden State can keep winning the battle of the bench, I mean, this series, it's over before it started. So it sounds like we're both on the same page in terms of the overall series. Do you think Cleveland pulls this one out tonight? I don't. Um, I think that out of all the games in this series, this might be the biggest blowout. I, I think wow. the, the Warriors win big. Um, I would say like 25. The wow. one tonight. Oh, uh, I, I think it's going to be a blowout. I, th- I think Curry and Thompson are just going to come out firing. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I don't think the Cavs will have any answers tonight. And, I think, um, I mean, hopefully, you know, there's no more ball taps by Delavadova <laughs> because he really got Andre Godala going in, in that oh, last man. game. You know, I, I think Andre hit like three or four straight shots after that. And, yeah. You know, they just blew him out from that point forward. So uh, I, I just think uh, offensively, this is going to be where Golden State really puts their, their mark on the series and you know, sways everything entirely. And, um, yeah, I just don't see the Cavs having any chance. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that last year they won game one in overtime and then the Cavs won the next two. So, you know, I think they're going to be well aware of that fact, and I think that's going to help them avoid a letdown. Like, they know going up 1-0 means nothing because if the Cavs steal game two, like, that's all they had to do. They only had to steal one game, and then they have home court now. Yeah. Uh, I I this I saw this stat from Dan Feldman of NBC Sports. I, I'm not sure if it's just in terms of the finals or if it's I, – I assume the whole playoffs. Uh, but game one losers have won game two 44% of the time. For LeBron's teams, it's 69%. Wow. Yeah, and I think I saw this from, I think it was ESPN Stats and Info had a graphic about like what happened the last 10 times a LeBron James team lost game one, and I'm pretty sure they won game two every single time. Wow. So I'm not, I'm not going to go out of the limb and say it's a 25-point blowout like you, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Golden State is going to, they're going to take control of the series, win game two, and then. I, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think at least Cleveland gets one at home, hopefully game three. So then game four is just going to be a bloodbath. Uh, yeah. But I'm with you. I'm sticking with Golden State in five. I just think, I mean, I, it sucks. Like if OKC had made it, I think that's a much more competitive series. And I think Cleveland yeah. at least has a chance. But mm-hmm. this is just such a bad matchup for them. I, you know, I feel really bad for the Cavs and for Cavs fans because this team is good enough to win a title. It just happened to run into a historic juggernaut. Yeah. And I mean, if the Raptors can get two games on the Cavs, I mean, (laughs) you know, I I don't think there's any reason why, you know, the Warriors can't win in five. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Well, that's going to do it for us at the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guest, Jeff McMenamin. Again, you can find him at, Sixers blog on Twitter. Check out bballbreakdown.com for all of your finals coverage. We've got recaps going up after every game and some other analysis. We're also going to ramp up our draft coverage and our off-season coverage starting this week. I've got a couple things going up about the CBA and about contracts, so keep an eye out for that stuff. Uh, Jeff, thanks for hopping on, man. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Brian. All right, take care. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. 
See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clothes. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.